chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. If you would remain standing for the reading of God's word. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Amen. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word. Thank you, Mike, for reading. You may be seated. Thanks, Jared. As you know, we've been journaling through, uh, journeying through 1 Peter. In chapter 1, we've uh, covered the first five verses so far. Last week, we looked at this idea that Christ is the one that gives us all of our hope and that through Christ, God is the one that maintains our hope and God is the one that is going to secure our hope. It's important to know those first few verses. You know, the first week we talked about the sovereignty of God, that God has to be in control of all things. Uh, God doesn't, isn't in control of some things and uh, let us have our free will in some other thing. That God is sovereign in control of everything in our lives. Let's see, we have to believe that because we're coming into a very crucial part of this passage about suffering. Uh, if we don't understand that God's sovereign in control over everything, then when we begin to suffer, we'll begin to doubt our belief and trust in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so Peter is going to tell us uh, again about the sovereignty and the providence of God. That God is, is who he says he is, and he does what he says he will do, and he keeps his promises. And it's important for us to know that. This morning's title is A Joyful Suffering. It's one of these weeks that I've been preparing and praying and knowing that many of you do suffer. And we suffer. And you see, John said it earlier, the, the, the promise throughout God's word is that there will be ongoing suffering for believers. Now, you're not going to go find that at the um, Walmart aisle card or Target cards. You're not going to go and find that in the, the encouragement card. Hey, welcome to suffering. Enjoy suffering. But God's word tells us to be joyful in our suffering. And so this morning, I want to look at God's word to see and answer the question, if that is true, that God's called us to have a joyful suffering, how are we going to do that? And so this morning, my prayer has been all week, God, that your children who suffer today, God, would leave here being able to rejoice in their suffering. And so we're going to look at uh, a few things this morning uh, about that. But it's going to continue to point us back. Peter's going to continue to point us back that God is sovereign in control of all things. Uh, one writer says that this, R.C. Sproul, he's an amazing theologian, pastor uh, up in Canada. He says this, People attempt to avoid the truth that truth, that God's sovereign in control, uh, by saying that God does not ordain such things. He doesn't ordain, meaning he's not the one that directs our suffering, uh, but he merely permits them. So, no, God doesn't ordain them, but God allows them. And that's not what Scripture teaches. God both allows them and he ordains them. 
If he's sovereign in control of all things, he has to be sovereign and in control of our own suffering. But he doesn't merely, he just merely permits them. However, whatever God permits, he must choose. So if you're suffering, it's not because of some sin you may have done or some sin from another. It is primarily because God chose you to go through suffering. Scary. However, God, whatever God permits, he must choose to permit. Therefore, he ordains them. Like God, in his sovereignty, before you ever created, knew in this very moment you would go through suffering. And he did not just permit it, but he said in his sovereignty, I will allow it and I'm going to be the cause of their suffering. And we're going to see the reason for the cause of our suffering. There is a reason that we suffer. We can look back to Genesis chapter 51 and 52. If you know the story, Joseph, time after time after time, went through suffering. I mean, that brother went through suffering. His own brothers hated him. His own brothers that wanted to kill him, and at least he had one brother that said, no, let's not kill him, let's pretend like we killed him. He got sold into slavery, right? Then he gets into slavery. He's in a dungeon for a long time, and over and over and over, this brother suffers. And at the very last, if you will turn to Genesis chapter 50, the very last words that we see him speak, this is what Joseph says. He says to his brothers, you know, his brothers are coming to uh, him to get some food and to be restored in relationship to him. And they, he, they say to Joseph, they're asking for forgiveness. And Joseph comes and says to them in verse 20 of chapter 50, As for you, you meant evil against me. Circle this word in your Bible, but. He's saying, you, my brothers, you meant evil. You wanted evil, but the sovereignty of God, he says. But God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive, that they are today. See, brothers, you meant something evil, but God and his sovereignty had a plan way bigger than your evil. So it wasn't that just God allowed his brothers to do something and permitted them to do something. No, God was sovereign over that because God had a purpose and a plan to use Joseph's sufferings to ultimately bring them into and out of captivity to lead them all the way to the promised land to set us up that Christ would come ultimately. You see, the plan back in Genesis 50 points us all the way to the cross. So it's not just that God permits things, he also ordains things for his good. Now that doesn't mean for our good, but there are for his good and ultimately for his glory. So your suffering isn't about you this morning, though I know it is, it's more about the glory of God this morning. We have to believe that this morning. Because if we go away from believing that, then when the discouraging news comes, our faith gets blown to smithereens. 
Because if we base our faith on our circumstances, then we're in trouble. We must base our faith in Christ, in Christ alone, and that God is sovereign in control of all things. Amen? And that's what Peter is going to continue to point us to. Let's flip back to 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter comes right out of the gate to say this in verse 6. In this you rejoice. What's the in this? The in this points us right back to verses 3, 4, and 5. The in this is about our hope. We are able to rejoice in our hope. Our hope is in Christ and Christ alone. And so he goes on and says this. In this we have hope. In this we rejoice. We rejoice in our hope, Peter tells us. Though now for a little while. We'll get to that in a moment. If necessary, we'll get to that in a moment. That you have been grieved by various trials. We rejoice in the hope that we have in Christ. And he lists some things that we'll get to in the next section. But we have hope in the midst of our trials. See, if we have no hope in our trials, we might as well pack up and go away. Paul says it this way. He says, if we have no hope in the resurrection, then we are all pitied men and women. See, if the cross never happened, then we ought to be more pitied than anyone on the face of the planet. But our cross, what Jesus has done for us, gives us the hope that we can then rejoice when we're going through our suffering. And I don't get it. This is not how I would choose to do things. I would not choose to put Cedar and Tennyson through trials. That's not how I would do it. If you're a parent, you would choose to do that, I'll get some help for you. But this is God the Father's way of dealing with his children to put us through suffering. You see, Isaiah says it this way in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God has a different way than man has. Thank God for that. Which leads us into verse 7. So we are able to have joy in our suffering is what Peter tells us in verse 6. Verse 7, he says this. Now here's the reason. If you want to know the reason for your suffering, Peter's going to give us the outline of the reason for our suffering. It's called purifying trials or purifying uh, tr- suffering. He tells us in verse 7, so that the testing of the genuineness of your faith. So God allows us to go through trials and suffering to show us how true our faith really is. Just a few things that we see in verse 6 and 7. From this passage, we see five things about our suffering and our trials. The first thing is this. I said we'll get back to it, verse 6. He says this. Though now for a little while. Here's the great promise through this passage. The first promise that we see about our trials is they are brief. Thank God they're brief. 
Now here's the deal. Your trial may be for a lifetime, but your trial ends when you enter into eternity, which eternity compared to your life is brief. James tells us your life is, your life is but a, 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 a mist. And so he's saying to us, though your trial, it, it may seem like that's all that's in front of you, the promise is your trial or your suffering is brief. You see, if we don't have that understanding, if we can't look past our trial into eternity, then we will be so overwhelmed, but we go back to rejoicing in our hope. And what is our hope? Our hope isn't just for today. Our hope is for tomorrow, that there is an eternity with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit forever and ever and ever and ever. And when we spend eternity with Him, man, we look back and our life is but a mist. Our trials are brief. I'm not trying to take away your pain. I'm trying to point us back to reality. The reality is there is a cross and there is a heaven that we spend eternity with God without our trial and our suffering. Amen? That's the first thing we see about our trials and our suffering. They are brief. The second thing we see is this in verse 6. He says uh, that there are various trials. The second thing we see is that your trial, your suffering, there is a multitude of trial and suffering. Now, I know that's not promising, but we can see that. Okay, God, they're brief, and there's a vast amount of them. So whatever you're going through, whatever trial you're going through, yes, it's from God, and I can't list the thousand and one trials. They are all throughout our lives. There are various trials that we will go through. We're going to get to how come God or allows us and ordains us to go through trials here in a minute. The third thing we see is this. In verse 6. If necessary. Now, if you read the rest of this book, you will see over and over and over again, it's not as if if they're necessary, they are necessary. Our trials are necessary to our sanctification or our salvation. You see, we must go through trials. They are a necessity for us. We need trials. Re- remember what James says, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials and you go through trials because it's the testing of your faith. And so we need our faith to be tested to know if we have a true, firm faith in Christ Jesus. The same way you and I would test anything else. We need to test our faith in a way that God chooses to test our faith is through our trials. How come they are brief? How come they're a necessity? They show us again that they prove, here's what he says in chapter 7, so that the testing of your genuineness are faith. So that it would prove is your faith for real. You see, I want to know, for me, do I have a true, firm faith? I want to have that security. I want to know for sure that I have a faith that will stand the test of time. And when I enter into heaven, I can say to God, yes, God, I've been faithful to do you. And God will repeat after me, yes, you have been faithful, my, my servant. And I can look at my life and see all the ways that I've been tested and all the trials I've 
been through and to say with confidence, oh God, I had a faith that did not rest in me in my trial, but I had a faith that rested in you. And here's the promise of all these we see in verse 7. Now, after you will get to uh, how he does it here in a moment, after we've gone through all of our trials, it says, may be found to the result in praise, glory, and honor. You see, when we've walked through all of our testing and we've walked through all of our trials and we've walked through all of our suffering, then God will say to us in the day that we get into heaven, oh, I send praise over you. I have glory in you and I honor you. This isn't that we give to God, but this verse is saying that God gives to us when we walk through our trials. How amazing will it be that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit will say, he will shout praise over us through our trials. How amazing will it be that God will give us glory through our trials? And how amazing will it be when God honors us through our trial? Now the opposite side of the coin to that is when we walk through our trials and we have a faith that has been tested and a faith that has stood strong, we will give God all the praise. We will give God all the glory and we will give God all the honor. Amen? When you and I go through trials, we look back and when God's hand of protection and God's hand of deliverance in our lives in the midst of our trials, when we get on the other side of our trials, if we believe that God is true and sovereign and in control of all things, then we will give God all the praise. Amen? We will give God all the glory. There's no praise or any glory or any honor that I could take on myself and say, yep, see what I did? See how I got through that trial? No. I will be so humbled by the hand of God in my life that I'll fall on my face before God and praise Him and give Him glory and give Him honor. And ultimately, my trial will lead other people to what happened to Joseph. My praise and my glory and my honor that God has put onto me and I give back to God. The people that are lost are going to see something different. You see, ultimately, our trials and our suffering are for us, but they're for lost people. Do we believe that this morning? Now, Peter answers the question. Maybe you've asked it. I know I've asked it a hundred times. What is the point of our suffering and our trials? What is the point, God? What are you doing this for? And Peter points us to this metaphor of gold. In verse 7. He said, the genuineness of your faith, and then the metaphor is this, your faith is more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire. You see, what happens for us is our faith is being tested. The reason for your suffering, the reason for your trial is so that your faith ought to be tested. It is called the refiner's fire. And what the goldsmiths do, what in this, I've never, I'm not a goldsmith, so don't come ask me about it, I just read about it. What, what a goldsmith would do, they would take gold ore out of the ground and put it in extreme, extreme, extreme heat to get it from a solid to a liquid so that the liquid then could be malleable so they could make what they wanted to. But there had to be what was called the refiner's fire 
to take the impurities out of the gold to make it pure gold. And the way that the, the goldsmiths would do that was through fire. He'd get it so hot that the impurities would rise to the top. Once the impurities had risen to the top, he would then scrape off those impurities, and then he would have pure gold to do what he could with. And that's the metaphor that Peter is saying. That's what God does with us. He's saying to us, your trial or your suffering is you being put through the refiner's fire of Christ Jesus and God. That God wants to test your faith and remove the impurities of your life. Now, it's horrible. It's not fun. It doesn't feel good. It hurts. I'll say this word. If you have a kid in here, close their ears. It sucks. But you and I, through our trial, we got to look back to this and say, Oh, God, you must be doing a work in me through my trial. There must be in me things that do not glorify you, and you're putting me through this trial to have a deeper dependence on you. You see, when I walk through a trial and God puts me through the, the, the fire, he is removing those things that will not trust him. And when I get on the other side, those impurities are removed and I have a deeper trust for him. Amen? And it, it does not feel good. I'm not telling you this feels good. This is not a, 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 a pleasant experience. It's horrible. As a man that's been through a journey, as a man that's been through suffering, you see, I've shared this story before. Almost seven years to the day. I thought, man, God, you were doing some things in my life. I'd been out of rehab for a year and things looked good. And then I got a phone call that my dad had committed suicide. And I remember sitting on my back porch with my hands in my, in my face, just weeping out to God. And that was a painful, painful moment. And I remember in the car with my best friend TJ saying to TJ, why, why, why? And I still don't know the answer to that. All I can point to is this passage of Scripture. God, you must be doing something in me to allow me to go through that. I don't know what it is. And whatever the pain, whatever the suffering is that you're going through, I don't know the reason. You may not know the reason. You may never know the reason. There is no promise that this side of eternity will know the reason or that side of eternity we know the reason. We just can rest assured that the reason is for our sanctification. We can trust that. And so we go on with our lives. God, why did you let this happen? Why did you let this happen? Why did you let this happen? You will use the why to remove yourselves from what God is wanting to do in your sanctification. And so we say, yes, God, you have me through a trial. Now what do you want to do with me in my sanctification in this trial? Instead of looking at our circumstances of the whys, we look to the who. Amen? Again, it's not fun. There is a process. One writer calls it the refiner's process is the crucible of our faith. It's really where all faith hinges. This is what Rain Rudum says. He says, the trials burn away any impurities 
in the believer's faith. What is left when the trials have ended is purified, genuine faith. See, at the end of our trials, we can look back and see a pure faith that what God has done for me that I could not do for myself. I cannot bring myself into sanctification. I need God the Father to do that for me. One writer says it this way. Warren Worsby says this. I love this quote. The trials of life test our faith to, to prove its sincerity. A faith, get this, a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. Let me say that one more time. A faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. If you cannot test your faith, then you ought not to trust in your faith. But if you can test your faith day in and day out, then that is a faith that is not your own. That is a faith that God has planted in you and it can be trusted because it's not your faith, it's Christ's faith that's been implanted in you at the moment of your conversion. Amen? A person who has abandoned his or her faith when the going gets tough is only proving that he or she really had no faith at all. And it points us back to those promises. When our faith is tested, we see that we will have praise, glory, and honor. And all this comes from God. The next thing that we see is in verse 8. It's the value of our faith. This is where it all goes. This is where we can stock all of our value in. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is unexpressible and filled with glory. Our joy is directly related to our relationship with Jesus Christ. I'll say that again. Our joy through our suffering is directly related to our relationship with Jesus Christ. If I have no joy, joy moves me beyond my circumstances. Joy moves me into the realm that there is a God who saved me through the work of Jesus Christ, His blood, His righteousness, His death, and His resurrection. Then I can, in the moment of my trials, look beyond that and see the joy and the hope that I have in my resurrected King. And therefore, I have a relationship that points me to the cross that gives me great joy in the moment of sorrow and suffering. This passage talks about two things that our relationship with Christ must be built on. The first one is what he says in verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you what? You love him. Our relationship with Christ in all of our lives, even in our suffering, is do we have a true love for Jesus Christ? Because if we have a true love for Jesus Christ, then we will orient ourselves to our relationship with Christ. And when we orient our lives to the relationship with Christ, Christ will pour out His strength onto us, but it's directly to our love for Him. Do we just love God and Christ when it's convenient? Or do we love Him in the moment of our suffering? The second thing is this. Not only do we have to have a love for Him, but in verse 8 he says, 
now you now you do not now see him you what even though you don't see him you what you believe in him so we have to have a love for christ but we also have to have another pillar a belief in christ see it's one thing to love something and it's another thing to what this word believe means believe means i'm going to trust in or i'm going to rest my confidence in or i'm going to depend on so do i love him and do i depend on him See, I can love Christ and not depend on Christ. You see, if I don't have a dependence on Christ, I'll never make it through my suffering. I will never make it through my suffering. And so God is going to allow me to go through this trial, to go through this suffering, to show me, do I really love him and do I really believe in him? And when I go through the trial, anything that doesn't love God and anything that doesn't believe in God, God, through that refiner's fire, is going to burn away from my life. So at the end of the trial, end of the suffering, I will have a firm foundation. Therefore, we come to love Christ, we come to believe Him. Christ becomes the object of our faith and the source of our joy. He has to be the object of our faith. Do we trust in him and him alone? Because if we do, then he becomes the source of our joy. Because if anything other than Christ is the source of my joy, it is going to get destroyed between now and eternity. The one thing that will never get destroyed is Christ Jesus. Amen? And so do I have a love for him? Do I believe in him is he the object of my faith and is he the source of my joy verse 9 points us to the glorious future obtaining the outcome of our faith you see he's gone through the trials he's gone through the suffering he's gone through the refiner's fire and now he points us when we've gone through all those things he says this obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. So when you've gone through all of this, another word for it would be the persecution of the saints. When we've been, as saints, been persecuted by God, we've been refined by God, we then have a scene of the, the here, not yet. We are saved here, and there's a whole lot not yet coming. It's our future salvation. We, we talked about it last week. This verse is pointing to our sanctification, but it's also pointing us to our glorification. You see, our sanctification is the ongoing process of our lives that God is stripping away the things that do not represent him to a lost world. That is our sanctification. That is the refiner's process. That is what God is doing through our trial and our suffering. He is sanctifying us for us to become more and more and more and more like Christ Jesus. But he's saying once you've obtained that, then there's a whole lot that's still waiting for you on the other side of eternity. It's your glorification, the glorification. There will be a day that there is no more pain. There is no more suffering. There is no more cancer. There is no more divorce. There is no more abortion. There is no more racism. And on and on and on we can go. And we can stand assured and say, God, all this you have allowed because there's a whole lot that's left to come where I get to be in your presence and be wholly yours. Meaning holy, I am now finally complete. There's no sanctification that needs to be done in me. I am now in my glorified state with God the Father, and I for all of eternity give honor and praise to Him with no distraction. 
and to deal with. God chooses us to go through the refiner's process for our faith. And so this morning, my hope in closing is this. Do we believe, it goes back to the first week, do we believe that God is sovereign in control of all things? Like Miss Patty, God is sovereign in control of your cancer. God was sovereign in control of Maverick. God is sovereign in control of Cedar, Cedar and Hannah and Wyatt. God is sovereign in control of all those things. See, that day you got the news, it didn't catch God by surprise. When, when Maverick fell, it did not, God wasn't thinking, oh no, he fell, what do I do now? God said, no, I've got a purpose, I've got a plan, and it's for my glorification. And when we see that, we will give God glory in your cancer. We will give God glory in the fall. We will give God glory in all things because he's sovereign in control of everything, not some things. Amen? Let us pray. God, our suffering, though it does not feel like it, is for our good and for your glorification. God, I pray if there's anyone in here that's suffering this morning, God, that these altars are wide open, that they would come and they'd pour out their heart before you, and you, Holy Spirit, would talk to them right where they're at in their suffering and god though the suffering may continue when they get up and walk out of here they can have a comfort through the holy spirit god god i pray not for suffering not for trials those are promises that are going to come true we will suffer we will go through trials but god i pray that we here at palace chapel would be a people that would have joy in our suffering because God when we become joyful people in the moment in the midst of our suffering God a lost world will say man there is something off and we can say oh yeah there's something off about me and what's off is I give praise and honor and glory to God in the spite of my suffering God I believe it's providence that you had us in this passage today. I believe, Holy Spirit, you want to speak to us today. Let us be a joyful people, God. Let us be a joyful people. We pray this all in the mighty name of Christ Jesus and all of God's children said, Amen.